the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Let's jump straight into God's word. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 16 to 17 is what we've been looking at. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Someone say, Come see my zeal for the Lord. Say, Come see my zeal for the Lord. We laid the foundation and we established the fact that zeal can be seen, zeal is tangible, zeal is a spiritual force. But it is something that can be seen in the natural and in the physical. It's not an invisible thing. You can't be zealous in secret for God. You cannot. I am very zealous, but my zeal is hidden. No. In the way, zeal is real, is tangible. And it's tangible because of what zeal does. Because zeal essentially is a spiritual force that moves you to do things for God. Somebody say, moves you to do things for God. Yeah, zeal. It's not just for God. Zeal actually can move you to do anything. See? But when it becomes a godly zeal, and what we are talking about is divine zeal. When it's godly zeal, it moves you to do things for God. And the Bible says that love must be sincere. And it was in the context of, you see, <laughs> it's just talking about the sincerity of love. And then it gives you one characteristic of love, which is zeal. Somebody says zeal. <laughs> Go now to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 11. He said, Love must be sincere. Somebody say sincere. sincere. Say sincere. sincere. Okay, so love must be sincere. Sincere love means there can also be insincere love. Love must be sincere. The God kind of love must be sincere. And it shows its sincerity by what it hates and what it holds on to. When the love of God is burning hot in your heart, there are things you hate. Nobody will have to legalize anything for you to do, but you will naturally hate some things because of the love of God. Paul said the love of God constrains us. It compels us. It constrains us. That's what the Bible says. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Then verse number 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 11, let's read it together. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Somebody say, never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking. Never be lacking. What the Bible says, don't lack it. It means it's very important. Don't lack it. I know everybody here tonight and everybody online, there are things you don't want to lack. There are things you don't want to lack. What are some of those things? You don't want to lack money, obviously. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to. <laughs> Apart from money, there are other things we don't want to lack. 
Of course, sometimes the money influences even some of those other things. You don't want to lack happiness. How many of you want to lack happiness? You want to be happy. May you be happy. Everybody, we all want to be happy and excited. So nobody wants to lack joy. Nobody wants to lack happiness. Nobody wants to lack fun. Nobody wants to lack food. Amen. Come on, yeah. Yes, nobody wants to lack food. Nobody wants to lack food. But spiritually speaking, there is something you must not lack. Some of us, we don't lack any of these things. But this particular spiritual thing is very much lacking in our lives. It should not be lacking. You see, I never be lacking. You see, in the New Testament, uh, there are some instructions. You can call them whatever you want to call them. You can call them commands. You can call them instructions. You can call them... Uh, there are too many of them. There are too many of them. Instructions. Never be lacking in zeal. That's strong. Is it not? It's strong. It, it means you have to do whatever you can do to make sure you don't lack it. Whatever you can do. It helps to put in perspective for me the need for you to protect your zeal. You must not just have it, but you must protect it. You must know what to do to protect zeal. One, cultivate it. Two, protect it. If you don't have it or it has reduced, you have to make sure you cultivate it. And then you must guard it. Keep the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Same thing here. Never be lacking in zeal. Because without zeal, your service to God will be questionable. You cannot be effective in your service in the kingdom without zeal. He said, keep your spiritual favor serving the Lord. 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 So when zeal is lacking, spiritual favor will go down. You can't keep it. You lose it. So as emotional as it is, as passionate as it is, as physical and emotional as zeal is, it has a direct implication on your spiritual health. When you lose your passion for God and the things of God, it has a direct bearing on your spiritual health. No wonder in the book of Revelation he said, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. In other words, change your mind. When it comes to repentance about things that will take you off, do it quickly. Be zealous, your spiritual health. So we looked at zeal. Somebody say, Zeal for God's house. Say, Zeal for God's house. Yeah, you need to have zeal. You need to be passionate. Coming to church must be exciting for you. When you feel that your excitement about church is going down, you have to pray and say, Lord, give me a fresh love for your house. Increase my hunger and my passion for your house. It's something worth praying about. It's not something that you have to just say, oh, I think it's one of those things. No. You have to go before God and passionately pray about it. Lord, I, I feel my passion is going down. Stimulate my passion for your house. And then, of course, we touch on zeal for soul winning. Somebody say zeal for soul winning. Yeah, Z for so winning. That's what our lives on earth is all about. I said that the reason why when you get born again, you are not uh, put on the next available flight to heaven is because God has business for you to transact here. Somebody say business. Jesus said, don't you know I must be about my father's business, business, business. And the business has to do with soul winning. Drafting multitudes into the kingdom. Reaching out to people. Getting the gospel across. 
reaching out to people wherever they are, wherever you meet them, preaching the gospel, the total gospel to everyone you meet, friends and foes alike. Everywhere, Paul said, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. He said, I wish that myself, I was a curse so that my brethren will come to the knowledge of the truth. That's zeal. Somebody say zeal. Today, we want to look at another thing that is critical for us to have zeal towards. And we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. He says, now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you. He said, when it comes to matters of ministering to the saints giving, I really don't need to write to you. <laughs> but I'm going to write anyway. Yes, I really don't need to write to you. Then he said the reason why I really don't need to write to you. He said, for I know your willingness. There are people, they need to hear about giving and hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it, hear it, and hear it because they are not willing. I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Now, it's interesting. The longest passages on giving in the New Testament are found in this book. I think there are four of such long discussions on the subject of giving in the New Testament. We have 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and then Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 downwards. And then, of course, I think uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let me show you something there. Because it was an account, an incident that happened in Jerusalem that people had come under intense persecution. And there was hunger everywhere and they needed to give, to meet that need. And Paul said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. We'll use this one to teach next year. Amen. He said, now concerning on the first day of the week, let each lay aside. Somebody say, each lay aside. When it comes to giving, there is nobody that is supposed to be singled out. The poor must give, the rich must give. Praise the Lord. He said, let each lay aside. Everybody must be given an opportunity to do so. Let's go back to where we're reading. He said, your zeal, what zeal was he talking about? He was talking about zeal for giving. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Akai was ready. And your zeal has stirred up many. Verse 2, your zeal has stirred up. They were zealous to give. They were zealous to give. Some Bible commentators believe that in between, their zeal and the delay. Some people went back to them and told them that this apostle Paul is just collecting your money to chop. Forget about him. So though they were the people, in fact, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he was comparing the Macedonian church to the Corinthian church. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he's also comparing, using them as an example for the Macedonian church. Because here he says, their zeal motivated others. But the Macedonian church had carried on and executed their commitment. And yet, they were still dilly-dallying. Should we? Should we not? Should we? Should we not? Paul said, I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be, who have given already, come with me and find you unprepared. We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. He said, well, I've told them already that you guys are willing and ready to give. 
And so, uh, I'm just reminding you, just as you were willing from the beginning, it's about time. Deliver on your promise. Don't just pick up a commitment form to do efforts and not do it. I'm reminding you. Make sure you carry through your promise. Somebody say amen. amen. Because there are people who sometimes make commitments and they go to sleep on it. They make commitments and they have to be reminded again and again. Even when they are reminded, they still don't budge. Paul said, it's not about me. Of course, I'm the one who has gone out boasting about how wonderful you are, how generous you guys are. And when I come back and you don't deliver, I'll be ashamed. But you also will be ashamed. So let's sort out this matter. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now, those are strong statements there. I mean, when you go home, you can spend time and read the whole uh, chapter, but you want to appreciate the fact that it takes zeal to give. Somebody say it takes zeal to give. I have realized that people who give, and in, even in the church, people who give are usually not the people who have so much, but there are people who have a heart for God. There are people who really sometimes when you look at them on the outward, they should be able to give much, but they don't really give much. Just like Jesus sat by the, what do you call it, the treasury, and people were giving. There were people he expected that they would give him a check of 10,000. <laughs> you're surprised. It's amazing. If you're a pastor and you look at people's faces, you will never do what God has called you to do. Yeah. There are people, national service person will give an offering of 20 CDs in a service. A doctor may give uh, 10 CDs in a service. Yeah. National service person. I remember the person who first gave me uh, a significant offering <laughs> as, as a pastor of my ministry. When we were in the school, the first person to give me an offering, she was a national service person. An offering nobody had given me in the church before at that time. That was the highest offering I had received. And it came from a national service person. So understand this. It takes a heart for God. One of the things that demonstrates that you have a heart for God is your promptness in giving. Somebody see my promptness in giving. Yeah. Your promptness in giving. Your promptness in giving. Your promptness in giving. There are people when they hear that there is a need, they are naturally challenged. There are people when they hear it doesn't even bother them at all. <laughs> at all. And I've taught you that giving is an opportunity. Is what? Yeah, it's an opportunity. So when you get an opportunity to hear it, the fact that you heard it means that God wants you to do something about it. Now, Abraham, we look at people demonstrated on common zeal in scripture for giving. One is Abraham. Somebody say Abraham. Now, it came to pass after these things that the Lord tested Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, here I am. Take now your son, your only son. Now, do you know that Abraham didn't know it was a test? Can I talk to you? Abraham never knew it was a test. And there are times where certain opportunities to give come to your way and you don't know God is testing you. He didn't know it was a test, but he passed the test before he got to know it was a test. I pray that you will pass the test when the time comes. He didn't know. God tested Abraham, but Abraham did not know it was a test. Because he went all the way ready to do it. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go. Because if he knew it was a test, then Hebrews will be lying to us when the Bible says that by faith, Abraham, I mean, something you know is a test. What do you need faith for? 
You don't need faith for what you know is a test. Yeah. But he didn't know it was a test. But his love and passion for God, his zeal to honor God was way higher. God told him, take now your son. Somebody say your son. Uh Whom you love. Now listen, if God has not demanded something that is precious, very dear, and very important to you, (laughs) the gap between you and him, (laughs) I think that you still have some way to go. A lot of us want to be called the friend of God. The friend of God, that is the demands he puts on his friends. <laughs> I'll be glad the day God will come to me like he came to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Sodom, what do you think about it? I like God to have such discussions with me. Well, wait until God comes for one thing that you love. What is most precious to you? Because you see, God will have to be sure that nothing else is as important to you. As him in your life. Abraham says that's what it was about. After you have saved up some money on purpose. You are trying to get something for yourself. But you've been targeting it, targeting it, targeting it. Just when it's almost up there. Then the Holy Spirit speaks to you. (laughs) Take that offering. (laughs) And go and give it to pastor. That's when people bind and bind their destiny. <laughs> I bind you. That cannot be the voice of God. One of the fastest ways to learn to hear God is when you learn to hear him on giving. Yeah. Some people say, I've never heard God before. It's because he has never spoken to you about money. You see, money and our heart are connected. I mean, in my own personal life, that's how I learn to hear God. Yeah. So when God tells me to do something, I don't wait and uh, uh, asking the question. Because one, I know Satan is not a giver. Satan is not what? Yeah. How will I know, Pastor, that is not my own self? If it's my own self, for me to live is Christ, to die is give. Myself is Christ. So number one, Satan is not a giver. According to John 10, 10, the thief comes except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that you may have life and have everything we have. It is Jesus who gives to us. Satan never gives you anything. If your own self is also telling you that cannot be yourself, it is the nature. The human self doesn't give. Naturally, we are all selfish. True of us. Oh, talk to me. True of us. Now listen, it's not natural to give. That's why you have to grow spiritually to be a sacrificial giver. It's not natural. It's a spiritual thing to give. To want to give and to do so with a positive attitude, it's a spiritual thing. So that one too does not fail. So when you hear a voice to give, don't bind it. That's what I want to tell you. Don't do it. Don't bind it. Don't bind it. Because when you bind an opportunity to sow, you know what you are binding? You are binding your future harvest. You are binding your future harvest. You are binding your future harvest. Take now your son. He took him and immediately he went without asking questions. What was driving Abraham was no sense. It wasn't academic knowledge. It was zeal. Somebody say zeal. Zeal was driving him. Wait for how many years? Your wife. How old? Go through pregnancy with all the stresses of pregnancy. You never even tell her. You carry the child and say, I'm going to sacrifice him. You have to be mad. But that is what zealous people are. We call them fanatics. They are mad for God. When we look at Solomon, Solomon, first Kings chapter 3, verse 3. What Solomon did was also a demonstration of zeal. Somebody says demonstration of zeal. 
And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Verse 4. What did he do? He went to Gibeon and sacrificed there, for there was a great Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. Under the law, when you were being coronated as a king, or you were being installed as a king, you were required by law to offer one bull. One bull was enough. But Z motivated Solomon. He gave a thousand bull. What is the percentage of one by a thousand? <laughs> you can't even put a percentage on it. Offered him. What of Mary Magdalene? To save up one whole year's salary and use it to buy something. Not something that Jesus will keep in the safe and keep us, you know, when you have a, a precious, beautiful artwork. People keep them in some wonderful places. I saw uh, an artwork by Da Vinci, that guy. I think he was a painter, right? Yeah. One of his artwork that has, was bought by MBS, this, uh, the crown prince of Saudi. He bought it for about 500 and 500, I think 550 million. Not 550 million or 450 million artwork. But <laughs> the James cannot understand that. <laughs> Is it crazy? That's what you are thinking in your head. <laughs> yeah. Body like that. And put it in his yacht. <laughs> Z. <laughs> Come on, talk to me. Z. Z to display well. Imagine. Even if it's $450 million, it can make a lot of difference in Ghana budget. <laughs> $450 million. I think it, it, it will be more than the $1 billion they say they want to raise for the uh, job project. Abi, Way more. Way more. They bought art piece. It's, it's just about that size. <laughs> Set up one whole year's salary and then picked it up and gave it as an offering. What of the widow? Very poor. Didn't have anything to depend on. It's zeal. Somebody say zeal. It takes zeal. It takes zeal. And there are eight ways zealous people give to God. One. Zealous givers give themselves to God first before their substance. Zealous people, they give themselves to God first. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. When somebody has not got a zeal, when he has a challenge, he withholds his hand. He says they are being tested by many troubles. They are very... They are very, they are very, how, where they, they were very poor. One, they were tested and they were poor. They themselves had issues. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed with rich generosity. Look at this. Verse 3. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford. Please follow it. They gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Somebody say far more. And they did it of their own free will. Look at verse 4. This is why they were able to, they begged us again and again for the privilege, for the opportunity of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I want us to read verse 5 together. One go. He said, they even did more than we had hoped. For their first action, somebody say their first action. Their first action. Their first action. Their first action. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Somebody say, their first action. Their first action. Oh. 
How many of you have heard me say that my measure of people's spirituality is what they give? How many of you have heard me? No, 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 no. What you give, it's a reflection of your spirituality. Because you cannot, I wrote here, I said, you cannot truly offer your body as a living sacrifice to God and withhold your money from Him. My body is your sanctuary. My body is your sanctuary. Purify me as gold, so I may be bold to say my body is your sanctuary. When truly your body is a sanctuary, there is no way you will struggle with him. Yeah. If you want to see the extent of your devotion and dedication to God, check how it's affecting your pocket. Their first action, take me back, their first action, their first action was, verse 5, their first action was to give themselves to God. They give themselves to God. Their first action was to give themselves to God. That's what they did. Because according to the book of Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Somebody say, where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. Your first action. You cannot be a zealous giver. The reason why you don't give with passion is because you have not given yourself over to God. When you give yourself over to God, everything you have is already His. Their first action was to give themselves to God. Number two, zealous givers give to God as a matter of priority. As a matter of what? Yeah, zealous. They give to God as a matter of priority. They give to God as a... Giving to God is first on their list. It's not... Uh, Something that after they have done their list, done all their expenditure, then they will see whatever is left, they give to God. No, that's not what they do. Under the Old Testament, the practice of tithing was such that when you went to your field, if you were an animal man, animal farmer or whatever, you go to your farm and then you count one, two, three, your harvest, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 8, 9, 10. The first 10, before you do anything else, the first 10 was what you gave to God as tithe. It's a matter of priority. Somebody say a matter of priority. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruit of your increase. What we give to God first is a reflection of our deep honor for God. When you honor God, you give him first. You give him first. When I was growing up as a child, when food is ready, the first person to be served was my father. Where I am today, I think that I think different though. I, I, I think that children must be served first. But it was also an act of honor. The first person to be served, it communicated honor. The first person to be served was my father. The first person. The first person. Even the guns. The guns have what they do, a home or something. And I think it's the first harvest of corn. Is that not what they do? Yeah, it's more like a first fruit thing they do. First. First. They give to God as a matter of priority. You see, giving to God should never be an afterthought. Somebody say it should not be an afterthought. It should be your first thought, not an afterthought. Your first thought. The first thing on your mind. Number three, zealous givers give over and above the Old Testament 10%. Zealous givers. Zealous givers. They cannot be tied down with 10%. No, 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 no. Titan is truly an Old Testament thing. Yeah. Titan. 
as in the 10% rigid giving is an Old Testament thing. If you want to really, really talk about generosity in New Testament, it starts from Titan. Titan as in 10%. No, no, no. That's not New Testament giving. New Testament giving, you give all. It gives something higher and precious. That's what we saw. That's what Jesus showed us. That's what the early church showed us. That's what people in the New Testament, during Jesus' era, we saw it. The widow gave all her livelihood. That's an example of giving. People like Ananias and uh, Barnabas them sold lands and gave it out. The entire thing, they gave it out. That's New Testament giving. Look at the first Chronicles chapter 29 verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. Look at that. That's zeal. Because my zeal is towards the house of God, I have given to the house of my God over and above. Somebody say over and above. above. Say over and above. Over and above. above. They don't calculate. They give over and above. Receive grace to give over and above. I have given over and above, over and above, over and above. In the book of Luke chapter 12 verse 48. But he did not know, yet committed things deserving of strife shall be beaten with you. For everyone to whom much is given. Somebody say, everyone to whom much is given. Everyone to whom much is given. And do you know so much has been given to us under the New Testament? So, so much. So, so much. As for the New Testament, that's why New Testament giving must not primarily be motivated by what we are receiving. We are not giving because of what we are receiving. We are giving because of what we have been given. Did you hear what I said? New Testament Christians give not so much of what God will give us. There's no doubt God is faithful and is a rewarder. But we give because of so much that has been given unto us already. So much has been given to us. So much, so much has been given to us already. To whom much is given, much is required. And then to whom uh, whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So we have to give. Zealous givers give over and above 10%. They don't do tight. Anything above 10% is also not tight. So technically, New Testament is not tightened. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're a baby and you want to start from Titan, it's okay. <laughs> With my understanding of the realities of the New Testament, what God has done for me to be given uh, 10%. No, 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 no. It's an insult. Praise the Lord. It's an insult. To whom much is given? Somebody say, to whom much is given? Much is required. So much has been given to us. So much. Paul said, he said, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely unto us, how much more shall he not also with him freely give unto us all things? Not some things. All things. The Bible says, according as his divine power had given unto us all things that pertains to life and godliness. All things. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The number, sometimes when I'm reading, I see all things, all things, all things, all things, all things are yours. I get amazed. All things. All things. God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always have an all sufficiency. In all things may abound unto every good work. All things, every, all things, every. So zealous givers give over and above. Number four, zealous givers constantly look for opportunities to give. They constantly. Somebody say they look for. Say they look for. They look for opportunities to give. They look for it. 
they look for opportunities to give. Therefore, the Bible says, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good. Whenever we have, whenever we have, whenever we have, whenever we have. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at your last care of me and flourish again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. They look for opportunities. They turn around. What needs to be taken care of? You know, Mary Magdalene, because she understood what had been given unto her, she looked for an opportunity. Somebody say an opportunity. Look at it. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 to 9. While he was in Bethany, as a guest at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, a woman came. She was not invited, but she had prepared herself. She prepared herself for an opportunity. He had saved all along, bought this thing, and was looking for a strategic time to deliver it. And one day, Jesus was at a place close to her. The Bible says she went there. Look at this. And came with an alabaster vial of very costly and precious perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured the perfume. But there were some who were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? Do you know that every time money is spent on kingdom things, people see it as waste? Huh? Yeah. A lot of people. It's a waste. It's not a waste for somebody to fly from here to London to go and watch Manchester United at the risk of his life and come back. But it's a waste for people to give to God. For this perfume might have been sold. There are two reasons usually they give. Either they point to the poor or they point to other things that the money could have been used for. As for the poor, it's not today that uh, the poor is going to be used as a pretext for not giving. They said that this might have been sold for more than 300 dinar and laborers wages for almost a year. And the money given to the poor and they scolded her. And so there are a lot of Christians who sit in church, they won't give as much as they give to God, but they are giving to charitable causes. It's a waste of resources. Your primary giving, the place your greatest giving must come to as a child of God is the kingdom of God, not, uh, uh, what do you call it, charitable stuff. You are not a philanthropist. You are a kingdom citizen. You are not a philanthropist. You are a kingdom citizen. You are not a philanthropist. Am I saying don't give to the poor? No. You see, there is always a priority in everything we do. When we do it, how we do it is very important. Yeah? It's how important. The salvation of souls is more important than giving food to the poor. When you give money and we teach the word of God on radio, we are able to do a lot, build churches. It's more important than giving money to the poor. Praise God. Yeah? Because what the poor needs is the gospel. What the poor needs is not food. What they need is the gospel. Yeah. It's not easy for the little ones to understand what I'm saying. That's why anybody at all can be given to the poor. How many people give to the gospel? A certain strategy to dissuade us. I mean, a lot of... You see, the modern day church is involved with a lot of things that we, we are just trying to uh, compete with the world, let the world know. We do things to appease the world. No, that's not our business. That's not our business. MTN will never sponsor a gospel crusade. Guinness will never give and sponsor a preacher on radio for one year. Yeah. But they can give to the poor. So if they are giving to the poor, we should be using our money to advance the cause of Christ. Am I communicating here? 
sometimes when people are arguing and you don't understand, you don't have scripture, don't waste your time on them. The Bible says we should not waste our time on foolish arguments. In the book of Titus, it's there. I'm a kingdom citizen. My first responsibility is to my king. That's it. The Bible did not say, seek ye first the cause of the poor and the sin. Jesus, even Jesus, when they, as for Jesus Christ, it wasn't like they were building a church or no, they were pouring it on him. He didn't say, ah, I don't need it to give it to the poor. They were pouring it on his waist. He said the poor will always be there. You see, economically, it's a whole gamut of issues that makes a person poor. So to now sit down and say that the church must take care of the poor. Do you know what, <laughs> what, it, what it takes to take care of a poor person? And I believe that the church is actually doing well when it comes to helping the poor. Because when Jesus came, he didn't give money to the poor. He preached the gospel to the poor. You understand it someday. What the poor needs is the gospel. If the poor can open his heart and receive the gospel, the, the gospel has a transformative effect. It does not just save you. Salvation is not just of the soul. And of the spirit, salvation is holistic. When you understand salvation holistically, it changes your life. You will no longer even call yourself poor to be waiting for people to give you things. Praise God. When your mindset is properly set and rightly aligned, you won't call yourself poor. There are people in church today who may be earning 5,000. If I make altar call for poor people, some of, some of them can easily... Uh, I, I make altar call that I'm giving some money out and I name it. They will come out as poor people. It's a mindset though. I tell you, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. <laughs> Somebody say, I'm a zealous giver. Yeah. That's it. Zealous givers give. They look constant. So look for opportunities to give. Look for opportunities to give. Look for opportunities to give. Give to the cause of Christ. And that must be your... You see, you have to be a kingdom dreamer. Somebody say, I'm a kingdom dreamer. Yeah. If you want to prosper, you have to dream kingdom dreams. The reason why it went well with David was because he had the kingdom in his heart. One day, he sat there, he said, I want to build a temple for God. God said, David, you want to build me a temple? I'd rather build you a temple. That's how David's name became a legacy in the nation of Israel. God said, rather than have you, be, because you thought about that, I'm going to make sure that your name never goes out of the history books. So, the first king is never, in Ghana, he said, in most nations, you know that the first, the first president of almost, for, for particularly sub-Saharan Africa and African nations, almost all first presidents are always remembered. Do you know? Oh, talk back to me. In Ghana, President Nkrumah has a special place. Mandela has a special place. I mean, almost across all. Even in civilized places like the U.S. and all of those places. I mean, advanced democracies like those places. People like George Washington, their names are in special places. Abraham Lincoln are in special places because of the role they played. And so, by all standards, Saul, being the first king of Israel, his name should have been registered somewhere. But he didn't have a heart for God. He didn't have the heart for God. So he's never remembered. There's nothing like uh, this. But David's 3,000 years go to Israel and they celebrate him. God said, I will make you a name among the great names on the earth. 
because he had now listen he didn't even execute it all that's why your heart is important somebody say my heart in the book of Proverbs 23 verse 26 he said my son give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways your heart your heart your heart how much your hands can command in your lifetime is a function of your heart who controls your heart is it God or money number five zealous givers give with the right motive they give with what Say, I'm a zealous giver. I give with the right motive. Your motive must be right. Your motive must be right. It says, when you give, don't give it like the hypocrites. Blowing trumpets in the synagogue. No, that's not what we are looking for. Unfortunately, nowadays, that's what the church does, actually. <laughs> that's what the church does. You see a pastor go to children's home, and you take a picture with the children and come and put it on Facebook. What is that? What is that? <laughs> you are doing so. That's what you are doing. And the Bible said, when you do that, you have your reward already. That's what Jesus said. He says, when you do this, you have your reward already. Your left hand should not. And listen, by the way, this one must be put in the proper context. A lot of people also, sometimes they take a lot of things out of context. Oh, pastor, then when I'm giving, nobody should know what I'm giving. No. That's not what he's saying. He says, when you are giving to the poor, when you are giving to the poor, when you are giving to a person, and it has to do with protecting the dignity of that person. That's what it's about. Protecting the dignity of that person. So that you are giving to the person, but, you know, he said, love must be sincere. You must be devoted. Honor one another about yourselves. He's needy, but still honor the person. That is why you don't blow noise about it. But it doesn't mean that every giving must be secret. No. There's nothing like secret about giving. The reason why, in fact, the, in the Corinthian church, the givings, Paul said, your zeal has stirred up many people. So, when they made the commitment openly, other people heard it. And he went to tell the other people, they say, ah, if the Corinthian people are doing that, we are also encouraged, you are going to do more. Am I communicating here? Yeah. A mature Christian is challenged by the giving testimonies of other people. When you are maturing and you love God, you are challenged by the giving testimonies of people. Now, as I stand, I have a dream of a certain seed I want to give to God. Set my own records, I break them, I set another one. Your motive must be pure. Somebody say, my motive must be pure. Number two, your attitude must be right. Zealous givers give with the right attitude. They give with the right attitude. Zealous givers give with the right attitude. Look at this. He said, let each one give as he purpose in his heart, not gradually or of necessity. There is a way you must not give. One of the ways is not gradually or of necessity, as if they are pushing you, pressing you, using all kinds of things. No, 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 no. 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 Bible says you shouldn't give like that. For God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Yeah. It doesn't mean that, say, I, I, I'm not cheerful, so I won't give. No. That's not what it means. It means give uh, until you become cheerful at it. That's what it means. Yeah. Give uh, until you become cheerful at it. The Bible says, uh, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheep with him. Amen? Give her until you become cheerful at it. Somebody say cheerful at it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you give until you become cheerful at it. You start it, you are not feeling it. You keep on doing it. Yeah, keep on doing it. <laughs> keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to do something for someone I was selling. When the moment I release that thing, you see, there is something about it. The moment you release it, there is this joy that fills your heart. I don't know about. Do you feel it? There's, there's this joy, overwhelming joy that fills your heart. Praise God. Yeah. 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 There's this genuine joy that fills your heart. If, it, if it's really genuine, there's joy that fills your heart. So you don't give with the wrong attitude. You give lovingly, you give willingly, you give cheerfully. Zealous givers give consistently. Number seven. I'm almost closing. Number seven days. Give consistently, not conveniently. Somebody say consistently. Not conveniently. Consistently. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 6. He said, Kaza, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not thy hand. You know, the morning is a good time. But the evening... Oh, weeping may endure eh, for the night. When the weeping comes, a lot of people, there were many people who stopped tithing during COVID-19. When it was at its peak, they were not giving. They were not giving. He said, in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand. So, there is nothing like I have paused. No. There is nothing like I'm too broke. In the morning, withhold not that. In the evening, for you do not know which one will prosper, either this or that. Or whether both alike shall be good. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. In the book of uh, Galatians, he said, let us not be weary in well-doing. And he was talking in the context of giving. Let's not be weary in well-doing. In well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we not. One of the, I have heard people say giving does not work. It doesn't work. If giving never works for you, I can give you 101 biblical reasons why it doesn't work for you. And maybe next year I will teach on why some people do not receive a harvest. Yeah. Why people give and they don't receive a harvest. Amongst some of the things that there is the fact that sometimes just when their harvest is closed, they just destroy it. In fact, your mouth that you are even using to say giving does not work. You are simply saying God is not faithful. That cuts you off your harvest. God is not faithful. In other words, God cannot be trusted. You think God is like Hindu who will collect your money and collapse the destiny that will not allow government to go through it for you. God is not Hindu. Yeah. God is reliable. <laughs> Somebody say God is reliable. No, no, no. You can trust God. He's too faithful. Too, too, too faithful faithful. So consistently, the Philippian church, he said you have given once and again. Once and again. He talks about consistency. Once and again, not one time. Once and again. Once and again. And by the way, all your harvest is not on earth. Yeah. All your harvest for giving is not on earth. So if that's what you are thinking about, that one too will discourage your giving. Yeah. There are people you go to heaven and you'll be surprised. 
What awaits them there? And then zealous givers give sacrificially. They give what? They give sacrificially. Listen, if there is one spirit that says New Testament giving apart from Old Testament giving, it's sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they sacrifice. In the New Testament, we have a greater reason to sacrifice. Number one, we are to live sacrificially. If you are to live sacrificially, <laughs> then giving sacrificially is an outflow of living sacrificially. You can't be living sacrificially and be giving unsacrificially. No. He said, in view of God's message, Romans, I beseech you therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. When your body is offered, your money came with your body. So it is also part of a sacrifice. Sacrificial giving. That is giving that will cost you something. Giving that is tearful. Giving that is painful. Giving that will cost you. Will make you feel it. That's giving. Look at it. Let's read it and close. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1, 2, 3. He said, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Look at that. He says, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. Verse 3. He says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than sacrifice. Somebody sacrifice. Now, sacrificial giving is when you go beyond. Jesus said, when they ask you to go one mile with them, go with them an extra mile. That is sacrificial giving. When you stretch yourself, you see, in the world of the spirit, let me tell you something. It's both in our good spiritual world and in the bad occultic world. Sacrifice speaks. Somebody say sacrifice speaks. In every spiritual activity, sacrifice speaks. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. It speaks. There is nobody who can go for ritual money without making ritual sacrifice. The kind of sacrifices they make to get ritual money is not small. Sacrifice is a currency in the realm of the spirit. Without it, not many things can be done. Our salvation was not purchased until sacrifice came. That was the platform. Christians are not saved to live. We are saved to die. Am I communicating here? No, no, no. You see? Your amen is down. Because you want to live. Christians are saved to die. We are not saved to live. Whosoever will save his life, he will lose it. Is that not what your Bible is saying? You keep on protecting yourself and be wanting to live. <laughs> In our kingdom, those who want to die, they are the ones who live. And it takes a sacrificial mindset to want to die. When you cannot give sacrificially, your life is not something you will be ready to share. No. <laughs> May the Lord grant us grace to become zealous givers. In the mighty name of Jesus. Great wealth awaits you in the kingdom. Not everybody will be rich. Because there are many things that process comes about. But everybody is entitled to supernatural prosperity. Not everybody will position themselves alright to get it. But I know you will get it. Say a better amen. If they are looking for people whom God has entrusted great wealth, may you be one of them. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now let me close with this test. It may help somebody. Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Charge them. Somebody say charge them. Yeah. Charge them that are that they be not high-minded nor trusting on certain riches, but in the living God 
who giveth all things richly for us to enjoy. He said, that they do good, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Ready to do good. Ready, 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 ready. May you be ready. May you always be ready to do good. May you be always willing to share. In the mighty name of Jesus, receive the willingness to distribute. Open your mouth and receive grace. has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our services at our headquarter church from 6.45 a.m. to 8 a.m. for our first service, which is our Excel service, and from 8.45 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. for our second service, which is our celebration service, and on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakumar Plaza, opposite the Unity Auditorium. Station, Santasa Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook, or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Every time I give it away.